You've tuned in to the Soundcast Stereo. I'm Christopher Coleman, your host. I'm on Channel One, and I think Uguay's theme from Kung Fu Panda is the closest thing to the Force theme that we've gotten since 1977. I'm Eric Woods from Cinematic Sound Radio, and I'm on Channel Two. And I thank the heavens for Wonder Woman's theme in Batman vs. Superman. Soundcaster episodes are two channel 30-minute conversations focused on a single topic from the world of film, television, or video game soundtracks. This is episode four, where Eric and I discuss some of your responses to our last episode, episode three, where we discussed what is the last film music theme, not TV or video game, that anyone of the general public would instantly recognize. Well, Eric, welcome back. Thank you very much. It's uh, great to be back. Well, it's uh, been quite a week since uh, episode three aired on the Twitters anyway. It was a fun week. It was so <laughs> much fun interacting with everybody and everybody just interested in what we have to say. Um, this is this is why we do this. And uh, it was just so much fun. I mean, my show has never got that much response. So it was just awesome to see um, comments from just general fans, um, people I don't even know composers it was it was just wild it was wild interacting with them and i wish i had more than 140 characters to to uh to chat back to them with on twitter so <laughs> and, and twitter is probably gonna make that a make that a reality in not too distant future yeah uh, which will be which will be cool but yeah you're right there's been so many there were so many responses on twitter to this episode i'd say the most responses i've ever seen to any soundcast episode ever let alone the the soundcast stereo episode so I wanted to take some time to address and, and maybe just bounce back a little bit some of the great responses. Now, there's too many that um, I could never list everybody. So I picked some of some of those that had a lot to say and some who picked some some really good points, some composers. Um, so let's just dive into them. Um, I'll start off with uh, at underscore. No, at Will underscore Dotson one. Will Dotson. He brought up a really good uh, point uh, as he mentioned the matrix being something that um, the general public who i like to call the gen pub uh, would recognize and that became an interesting discussion between us three because my immediate reaction was like no i don't i didn't i didn't think so and he qualified by saying well you know back then especially in 2003 or so when the sequels came out i guess um there was so much marketing there was games there was the animatrix there was all that that People probably knew it uh, then, and um, I still didn't fully buy it because I don't know what the general if the general public would know what the what the main theme, quote unquote, would be from the Matrix. And so, what what were your thoughts about that? Um, when he mentioned it, I thought that that was quite intriguing. I think um, recognizing the sound of the score more so than any motivic element right. would be correct. Those kind of opening horns mm -hmm. that uh, play over top of the main title for each of the three films, I think would be quite recognizable. And since that goes with also the bullet time sequence in the first matrix, and that was parodied quite a bit around that time, I'm trying to think of whether that is still in the public's conscious right now, whether they've realized that that would be from The Matrix, mm -hmm. and it's it's a 1999 movie. Right. And if The Matrix had been more successful, I would say, as a, as a complete trilogy, then maybe more people would 
pick it up. But I think that even to this day, and I was I was going to try this at work. I was just going to go, hey, guys, you know, just listen to this yeah. and tell me where it's from. Yeah. Um, I think they might be able to pick it up because that is such a, a, a unique, uh, it was such a unique score. It's true. And I, so as for themes, I don't think so. I think the big theme from that uh, series was the love theme, which went through quite a, a development through each of the three movies. Very true. And didn't really get a full resolution until the, uh, until the last movie. So, but I think from a recognizable standpoint, from a sound standpoint, the Matrix probably would be on the list at least around the time of the film's release yeah. and, and maybe five or six years later, I think that that would still be quite a recognizable score as yeah. a whole. And that so was his, his I'm, point, I'm too. with Will. Yeah, he said yeah. back you know, back then, not so much now. Um, yeah, I, I, I think maybe, but I don't know. It, it, it's so abstract, although it was very iconic, those kind of reflecting, reflective horns. And, you know, that was, you didn't hear that anywhere else. So if someone had seen the movie... They might say, "Oh yeah, that's from the Matrix," but I, I just don't. I don't know. I don't know. But it was a good. It was a good title that we didn't even consider, and so it's definitely worth consideration. Um, a couple people brought up another title from 2010, and I'll just pick one: uh, Ricky Colson at Ricky Colson on Twitter. He was curious why Tron Legacy didn't come up. It's not a traditional score, he says, but it is the most recognizable I can think of. Uh, what do you think about Tron Legacy? Um, Tron Legacy came out around the same time as Inception and sort of incorporated those new blasting horns of doom, mm -hmm. if you want to label them that way. And I think that they, that film came out first, then Inception, but that sort of ostinato-based, low-horn-sounding uh, score uh, started becoming kind of the norm and the real kind of flavor that film music was going in at that time i don't know i don't know whether people would know it's from tron legacy but i think that they would have an idea that they had heard it before mm -hmm. i don't know whether that's fair and whether that is saying that it's a recognizable film score and people would be able to let's say take the theme that kind of um that heroic theme at the beginning of the film or that um is it at the beginning of the movie? I can't recall. It's that kind of fanfare-ish yes. um, theme. Yep. Um, and I don't even think I'm not. I don't know whether like Daft Punk people would even. Mm, recognize. I bet they would. I think. I think the more kind of dance tracks. Yes. Um, for sure. Yep. But when it gets into that orchestral sound, um, that's where it it goes off on its own. Yeah. Um, maybe if the Tron. Uh animated series had to done oh, been more successful I love that series and if there was maybe another sequel afterwards yeah um because this was it had been years between the two films yeah. and but i think but you know what the tron music was featured in commercials mm -hmm. um, it but sure was. I, again it it's a very it's very popular music but would people associate it with tron i don't think so legacy yeah so um yeah that might but might not work, but it is quite popular, and it's it's one of the best scores that's been written in the past sixteen years, no doubt. in my opinion. No doubt. So, no doubt. Um, but I think it's a long. It was at that kind of that 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 new that that, that beginning of that kind of big ostinato inception like uh, film score, 
and those that type of trailer music that we were getting at that time. Mm-hmm. It was really kind of right at the beginning there. Mm-hmm. And um, it's true. So people might 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 uh, mistake it for Inception, um, but I I recall those those big horns and that kind of Austin Austinado string Austinado based music to be first heard for me was Tron Legacy. Mm. So not so much. I don't. I don't um I mean nowadays I like yeah that's that's inception but didn't you know, first time I ever didn't heard inception come out first or I know the trailer came out first which re- well, maybe. was where that really came from maybe first well, really, really where I noticed it it was it was for me it was Tron that's where I noticed I'm like wow that's really cool that's something new those big horns for the for those big spaceships I thought that just gave them weight and lift and right and everything but then it just became this giant cliche <laughs> yeah and it's it's annoying now yeah um but at the time it was quite oh it was awesome uh, would revolutionary be the right word for that one because i had never heard anything like that before yeah so yeah i was oh, god i love that score <laughs> yeah i, I do too I, I never tire of it and joe trapanese does not get enough credit you know everyone thinks mm-hmm. daft punk you hear tron mm-hmm. legacy you think daft punk but Joe Trapanese had a lot to do with the, sure. the the beauty and the power of that score, and that and it Absolutely. doesn't get talked about enough. So we give you a little props on this show, Joe Trapanese. <laughs> um, what you know, something that someone said, and they shall remain nameless, but it was so eye opening to me. And we talked about it in episode three. Um, I remember mentioning that you know some of these folks are are considerably younger than us, and they have not had the experience that we have, that we had in the 70s and the 80s going to movies and coming out just our minds blown we're on cloud nine we're, our feet are barely touching the ground we're humming you know whether it's james horner or john williams or jerry goldsmith's theme whoever it is you know they haven't had that experience and then someone we were talking about oh i think we were talking about star wars in the most current one in in context of this very topic and they and they'd said you know Back in '77, they probably people probably didn't make that big of a deal of the score, and I was like, "Hold on, hold <laughs> on!" And like, dude, I was there in '77, and Star Wars music was freaking everywhere. I mean, it was on the you know, Miko did its little disco version. It was on the radio on the pop radio stations every single hour. Uh, it was freaking everywhere, and and and, and it just kind of reinforced that point in that so many had do not did not live through that era and have not had that experience and i think that even the directors a lot of these directors now they are young people younger people than us and they didn't necessarily have that experience either and and so i just wanted to bring that point back up because it it was so shocking to me that um, there is a there's a perception out there that it has always been like like it is now, where people don't the general public don't make big deals about film music themes, when oh my gosh no that was not the case and that was maybe well no that was kind of a golden era or the beginning of a golden era in, in some in some aspects but uh, I don't know if you saw that tweet as well but did if you if you didn't what's your reaction to that as a well as a it's I mean. Star Wars, the the two LP, what was it? Uh, four LPs? Was it a four no, LP it was set? Two, I four, think. Was it two? It yeah, two. it was two. Right, yeah, four sides. It was two LPs. Yep. I mean, up until a, a certain amount of time, like uh, maybe up until Titanic, it was the greatest yeah. selling orchestral soundtrack of all time, yeah. and it it what forty million copies or something like that. Mm-hmm. I could be totally wrong, but I know it was up there. It was, um, 
It was the score. Now, not saying that orchestral scores were not being written, but when you look back at the 70s and the type of music that was coming out of that time, yeah. and it was all kind of dark and dreary, and, and um, you know, everybody just didn't enjoy life at that time. Right. And you, you, wouldn't, you, you didn't have those films that you could go to and just escape. Right. And when Star Wars came out, um, that was a change. And you're right. It was a, a, a new age for film music. John Williams didn't invent that. Right music but listen to the scores that were produced after 77 mm-hmm. the mid 70s and into the early 80s everybody wanted a star wars type score right. and that would mean go to london record the london symphony orchestra right. look at how many scores the london symphony orchestra at that time recorded mm-hmm. i mean eric tomlinson the recording engineer he was it was just like amazing. Was like Star Wars was the best thing that ever happened to him because everybody just kept coming to London and he was recording everything. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it was it was from Bill Conti, James Horner, Jerry Goldsmith. They everybody like you know, Star Trek the Motion Picture wanted to replicate that. So what do you need? You need Jerry Goldsmith to write a big, big score. Right. Jerry you know, James Horner came in at the right time. Yep. I mean, what other twenty mid twenty, late twenty uh twenties composer at that time could come into I mean, that would not happen now. Right. Imagine a 28-year-old writing a giant orchestral score and having it in one of the biggest, you know, films of the year yep. at this point and having an impact. Yep. I mean, James Horner came in at the exact time when he needed to. And, uh, you know, you got Bill Conti writing huge scores. You got all these guys who used to write big, big scores still writing. Mikolas Rocha was still writing scores mm-hmm. around that time. Mm-hmm. And then finally he was like, you know what, I got more work. And he was writing contemporary he was writing music for contemporary films, still kind of writing in his own style, but that was okay because the big orchestral score was now in favor. Right. Um, so I wasn't around for that time. I was born, but I was one when Star Wars came out. <laughs> so, but I felt it as I was growing up. Sure. Return of the Jedi was the first film I saw in the theater. Okay. And so I was able to have sort of that same reaction because it was the first movie I can really remember seeing next to Raiders of the Lost Ark, but that really had an impact on me musically. Mm-hmm. I came home from that theater. I still recall it clear to this day. I'm in the car and I'm singing the Ewok music. <laughs> I'm singing Star Wars. And I went home and I went home and I opened up a book and I started scribbling and, and drawing. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm singing Star Wars. Sure. I was just in that's it was in my head. It was in my head. And then uh we had those like I didn't have soundtracks at that time. But we had those um, stories on tape, mm-hmm. uh, those 24-page stories on tape, which were just awesome. Mm-hmm. So if you grew up around that time, you know exactly what I'm yeah. talking about. And and those those would have musical cues in it. And I would just listen to those over and over again yeah. just to to hear those themes until I finally was able to get the, the albums on CD. But it was just that triggered it for me. And that was just a great time for anybody just kind of inspired by the movies. Right. And those movies... Um, and what's so, that's what's so great about Star Wars is that Star Wars was such a fun time that people wanted to make fun movies. Yeah. They didn't want to make dark Batman versus Supermans. <laughs> they wanted to make a Superman that was fun. Right. And who do you get to write that score? You get John Williams. Of course. And you just have fun at the movies again. And, um, you know, we're in that day and age now where you can't have that fun at the films and at the, at the cinema anymore, especially for Batman and Superman. You mean you didn't have fun um, when you watched that, that three hour? Oh my God. I saw the three hour <laughs> cut. I finally saw it. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that just beat me to a pulp. <laughs> and I don't, I don't understand why people think that that's, 
that's what everybody wants. I think you you can have realism without just dragging people through the mud. Yes. You can you can still have fun. You can still enjoy the movie. For, you can you can let yourself go. Yes. And it was just so sad to sit through Batman versus Superman for three hours and just see where it's all come to. Right. And and especially going back to when movies used to be a lot of fun. Comic book movies used to be fun. Mm-hmm. Film music used to be a lot of fun. Yes. And um, so that's well, the- a long-winded answer. But yeah, Star Wars, going back to it, Star Wars was huge. Yeah. Absolutely huge. And uh, you know, it's still huge. It's still, it's huge. still huge. It's huge again. You know? Um, yeah. The good thing is, just as you were describing the entertainment environment of the of the mid 70s you know things were pretty dark things were pretty gritty and realistic and that that prepared the stage perfectly for star wars to come in and just blow up everything with this whole not new but kind of revived vibe of positivity and hope and fun um and i can only hope that we're on the precipice of that now where you know things of uh, there's there's so much greediness and so much you know realism and and very dark threaded movies that maybe there's something whether it's star wars or something else that's going to come and just blow the doors off of everything again and and bring us into a an age like that maybe it can never happen again exactly the same way but something will come in and and kind of open that door up again because I really I really hope that our listeners can hear our passion and our regret at the same time that that those experiences at the movies are not the same they are they are nowhere as good as movies that we're getting whether it be a civil war or what have you great movies but you only come out only so excited about the music if at all um even though they're very good scores, at least for me, enjoyable, you're not, you're just not whisked up to cloud nine, you know, because of the music and what it's associated with now as you were back then. So I hope our listeners, especially the young ones who didn't, who weren't around in the, in the early eighties to experience these things, can hear it in our voice that it was really something special. I know I miss it. Um, cause you can't manufacture it. You can't recreate it on your own. The, I mean, at least you being a parent, you can kind of, live that vicariously again through your kids mm-hmm. but you're right yeah but without that i mean just as an adult going those experience and you know you mature and those things are much harder to come by but still um there's a lot of fun to be had and we're 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 falling far 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 short of that uh let me read another one from uh a twitter follower uh mine account uh, at mine account zero zero, uh, and they were tweeting us about our last episode. He says, "I think you're entirely correct. Uh, we, as a younger audience born in the late '90s, have not had the experience like you must have had after Raiders." Actually, I meant to read that before I got into the last discussion because <laughs> that was the jump point into it. So that was the right. tweet that got me thinking about that. But you know, this person, mine account, is um, aware uh, that there that he or she is a younger person, comparatively speaking to us. And they haven't had that. They haven't had that experience. And I so hope at some point in the future that there's something out there, some movie that's released that gives 
audiences that experience again. Let me move on to another one then. Um, Matthew Llewellyn, who is a composer uh, in his own right, he had we had a very interesting discussion with him uh, very shortly after we published the last episode, uh, and he said, and I'm and I'm connecting two or three tweets together here that he made, but he says, how films are made now is one big reason scores struggle to be memorable. Writing themes and scoring are two different beasts. Uh, There are also many cooks in the kitchen now when approving music, uh, and this often leads to watering down. What do you think about that? Yeah, I I agree with them. Um, Just with the the sheer amount of money that is being put into movies these days, you can see why so many people just want to make sure that this thing is going to not lose money and, and hopefully make some. And, um, you know, if something doesn't sit right with one person, then, you know, you're going to have to go back and and do it again. And, and the other thing is that if you want to keep working in this industry as a composer, um, I mean, I've heard some composers say, you know, you got to fight for, for, for your own opinions, but, you know, essentially you are being hired by the director, producer, right. studio, whomever, and if they say they don't want any themes, but they want your music and they want it to sound this way, you know, you've got a job to do, and, um, you know, you gotta, you got to feed your family, you got to pay the bills, sure. and, and that's, you know, it's, it's, too, it's too bad that, um, that especially in big budget films nowadays, that they can't trust the composer. There's a reason why they were hired. Yeah, they obviously have a sound that somebody likes. It it really really grinds my gears when you get a composer, and I'm not going to name names, but let's say you know one composer has a sound mm-hmm. that you expect to hear, and then all of a sudden it comes out sounding like it was composed by somebody else. Right, and you're like wondering why in the world did they hire that guy? Yeah, who has such a an interesting sound and a unique sound, but you want them to sound like everything else that's out there. And again, that's just the time that we're in right now. And I guess that, I mean, look, going back to 1977 again, you know, everybody loves Star Wars, so they wanted Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Nobody was complaining about that. Right. You know, they want a Star Wars sounding score. Um, and nowadays it's, they want, you know, what's, what's the flavor of the month? What's the flavor of the year? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and if, if that's working for this film, then it must work for our movie. And um, that's just kind of the way it is. It's trends. Yes. And um, uh, as for not having a theme and not having a tune, I just, I couldn't imagine. I mean, I've listened to scores that don't have it, but I mean, can you imagine writing music without just some sort of musical hook? Yeah. I mean, isn't that the reason why you listen to music? Isn't that the Kinda. reason why music is memorable? Kind of. Um, there is a hook. <laughs> um, you remember lyrics, be you know, because they go along with the melody right. of a song. And um, so, like, these sing-song themes, um, uh, I, could, I could see why composers are having difficulty with it. Mm-hmm. And we just jumped down their throat, too. And it's great to see that Matthew Llewellyn coming out there and, kind of giving us some behind the scenes uh, information that really they, they do try. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially they've got to, they got to bow down to somebody. Yep. And unless, I mean, they could, they could defend their work as much as they can, but they might not work on another project ever again, yep. with let's say those people. And what happens if this film turns out to be successful yep. um, that they're working on? So, all right, let's bow down and see where this goes. And then maybe it can take us somewhere where I can find a director who has, final cut and, and more um, more say and more freedom into 
what can be done with their their movies. There there aren't many Steven Spielbergs out there who have total creative freedom to do whatever he wants. Right. And that's really it's really disappointing. It's it it really is. And um, you know, everything just seems to be especially in the bigger budget movies, it's it's all very cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't really figure out who's I can't I can't figure out director's styles anymore. Mm-mm. Everything almost looks the same. And that's kind of sad too, because uh I don't want to go to the movies to see kind of the same thing over and over and over again. And Oof. um you know yeah. it's that's it's, that's where we are. That that is where we that definitely is where everything looks the same. Everything's colored the same way. Everything's kind of desaturated. Colors are being sucked out of movies these days. Yeah. It's hyper realism. And I've got no issues with that. There's a place for that type of movie. Mm-hmm. But it's now just in everything. Yeah. Everything. And it just seems like the only place where you can go have fun is animated exactly features. Exactly right. It's just going to say that. Or horror movies. Or horror movies. I mean horror movies you see composers can have a lot of freedom with that because their music says a lot. But now it's animation and horror. And that's where you can really, as a film music fan, have a lot of fun. It's true. And as a composer, it just seems like that's where composers are, I mean, and as well as video games as well. Yep. I'm hearing that a lot in video games. Yep. There's just a lot of creativity coming out of that. But when we're talking about, you know, the motion, it's animation and horror, I think, that I find I have the most fun with. Yeah, it's true. Nowadays. It's true. That's a good point. Uh, Brian Costa uh, on Twitter, at ChronoCX, he said in regarding this very point, uh, he says, you can have a thematic score and be a profitable movie. It's okay for the movie to have a musical personality. I really liked that uh, that tweet of yeah. his. I think he's yeah. I think he's nailed it. It's it's not they're not like mutually exclusive. It's like if we write a if we have a score that has a theme in it, oh no, it's gonna tank. No, I don't think that is necessarily the case. Um, uh, but for some reason, that maybe they feel it. You know, I was listening to another podcast uh, this week. And I was so elated when they started talking about Searching for Bobby Fischer, which, as you know, is one of my favorite James Horner scores. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about the movie as a whole. But but one person on the cast said, you know, the movie is great, except the score. And I about lost my frigging mind because they thought it was way too over the top. It was way too emotional. It just it, it just they said, I would rather the movie have had no music. <laughs> You don't understand wow. how that was like a dagger in yeah. my heart because I think that the music of that film, um, yeah, it's very emotional. Um, but it, but to me, it's sublime. It's not just, just it's not just pulling at your heartstrings. There's something more to that score, as I've said many times before. There's something I, I feel like James Horner really felt something special as he was writing for that particular movie. Um, and I don't think it was just like, oh, I'm really going to get him to cry now or I'm really going to make him feel motivated here, inspired here. I don't think that's what was going through his mind and his pen as he was writing that score. But it just it just not only did it break my heart, but it just made me it made me stop back and think like because this person was a younger person. I could tell probably in their late 20s, maybe early 30s. And I was just like, wow. I mean, just a completely different prism to view a movie and to have a score. That I, you know, to me, it's hard to view that score as like in your face, but maybe it is to some. And maybe that's why directors are saying, no, no, we can't have a score like that. It's too direct. It's too um, emotional, which is it just doesn't make sense to me because 
movies are stories and stories are emotion. I mean, if you don't feel anything in a movie, if I don't feel anything in a movie, I don't like the movie probably. And so I don't get that as a whole. Uh, but I think that there's something to it. Um, and I don't want to just blame a younger generation, but it, it seems to be a generational thing on some level. Uh, yeah, I was thinking like whether, you know, people in their 20s and 30s, do they have feelings anymore? <laughs> um, and are they are they allowed to express those feelings? It's okay to cry, folks. Yeah. It's okay to cry at a movie. Yeah. It's all right to have feelings. <laughs> those feelings of goosebumps and the, the you know, the... Your spine tingling, that's allowed, folks. Yeah. Don't feel embarrassed about it. <laughs> but what I'm I'm what I'm really also curious about, and I think it goes back to my point earlier, is is just you're kind of walking a very thin line with your film, right? You you, you want it to succeed. And one thing that you know, if there's just kind of a cut in the line there, um, then that's it, your your movie fails. And I'm not gonna blame the music for that. Mm-hmm. But um if it says too much and I can sort of agree, not with searching Bob, Bobby Fisher. That's that's bloody genius. So that guy was just flat out wrong. <laughs> um, but I'm just wondering nowadays, just with how close these movies are being, you know, scrutinized, and with so many people now out there able to have their say, mm-hmm. it's not just critics. It's just so many people can say so many things, yes. and 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 you could, and you know, a Twitter feed could bring down a movie. Yeah. Um. But it, the way I'm thinking about it is, is you know, what happens if, if you're making a, a comedy and it's not funny? Mm-hmm. You might think it's hilarious on set, but then it's just not funny. Mm-hmm. So it fails. And so I'm just wondering whether they're like, hey, you know what? We know this is going to be emotional, but do we want to push it anymore where then it turns into what people might think is schlock or too saccharine when really it's just, like I said, feelings? Mm-hmm. It's 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 going to make people cry, but are people going to go? You know what? I cried at that movie, and you know, bleh. right? Um, and and that's where I I just don't know whether they're a little too touchy, um, and they're and they're, we're at a, at a point where a generation is too afraid to um express emotion because of what maybe other people might have to say about that. Mm. And that if they do say that they, you know, laughed, cried, whatever, at a certain point, then, you know, are they allowed to express that? Yeah. Um, and so then do filmmakers feel like that they can't express that much emotion and that if you can make something that feels more, I mean, I'm saying more real, but... um that doesn't manipulate the emotion, although that's such a weird thing because that's it's what movies movie. do. Yeah, it's a and movie. that's and that's and, and that's and that's that is the, the bizarre part about it is that you know dramas are you know drama hyper realism all that type of sort of those type of movies there is an emotion right. involved in that and whether that's suspense or or an uneasing feeling those are feelings. Yeah, um, it just feels that people are going to have a hard time feeling anything that is anything other than dread or sadness or darkness. Yeah. You know, if you get something that's too happy, then it becomes too sappy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe people just don't want that anymore. No, which is too bad. Yeah. Well, let's, let's uh, wrap up with, I've got one last one. 
um, from Stingray, from at Stingray underscore travel, um, who tweets lots of great news and things. I don't know, I don't know where he or she finds these things, but he, they find out a lot of interesting news on the on the interwebs about film music stuff. But um, he was responding, or he or she was responding to our last episode. He said, "Interesting topic." Um, he says, "Form." form an opposite form the opposite end of movie music and what was the last great movie theme song the last great movie theme song now that's a a a very different discussion and i'm not asking it to you right now but i want to put it out there to our audience um what they might think the last great movie theme song was and if you want eric and myself to talk about that in an upcoming episode if so uh, we want you to let us know on twitter of course uh, and you can do that uh, at track sounds or you can hit us up uh, on email soundcast at tracksounds.com or also on facebook um you can hit eric up too uh where can they find you on on the internets uh sin sound radio twitter um you can also email me at cinematic sound at yahoo.com and listen to the show at cinematicsound.net. Tell them about the Film Music Radio Network. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is something that I um, I thought would be interesting in a place for um, radio shows, all type of film music theme radio shows, whether it's film, TV, video games. But um, I've created something on Facebook called the Film Music Radio Network. And so if there's um, anybody out there that has a film music, television, uh, video game music radio show out there, then I'd like you to head over to Facebook. Uh, it's facebook.com slash Film Music Radio Network. And uh, there we can promote our shows. And uh, I have never seen a place out there on the internet where all of us radio guys could come together mm-hmm. and uh, we could talk film music or just promote our own programs and, and get the word out there that we're, we're, we're doing this work. We're helping promote film music. And so by, uh, by helping promote your shows, um, you can help promote music and we can get, uh, promote film music and we can get your, 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 your show out there to a wider audience. So um, that's a pretty cool thing that I thought uh, maybe would, would help us out. So uh, again, Film Music Radio Network, and maybe one day we'll work on a webpage, but right now we're on Facebook and on Twitter. Awesome. Awesome. I think it's a great, I think it's a great idea. Um, so uh, once again, that's Film Film Music Radio Network on Facebook. Yes. All right. Awesome. Well, I think that's going to wrap up episode four of Soundcast Stereo. We want to thank you all for listening. For all those who uh, were chatting with us on Twitter, we love that discussion. Let's keep it up. Um, we're on Facebook as well. We can have discussion there just as well as we can have on Twitter. But um, we love hearing from you. Please let us know what you thought about this show. Uh, if you have time, if you're listening on iTunes or on Pocket Cast or whatever your podcatcher is, give us a rating. It helps other people discover the show as well or just tweet about it or talk about it, tell a friend write a letter smoke signals however you want to let someone know about the show we greatly uh, appreciate you doing that so um until our next episode we want to thank you for listening and as we always tell you your knobs keep them in the middle (laughs) 